Look down, you stand on common ground, drink the water, breathe the air, roots in nature is what we all share. Earth cries for unity and there's a window of opportunity, every step's a front line, we're showing up our battle lines, you're hiding all dangerous signs so if you want to turn the world all around we gotta turn it upside down you're going to have to serve somebody and this is the labor and love show welcome hope you had a good week with lots of good work Serve somebody. Serve somebody. 
ancient preacher, spiritual pride. Maybe a city councilman taking rides on the side. Maybe working in a barber shop, you may know how to cut hair. And maybe somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody. gonna be is it gonna be the boss or your community who are you gonna serve you're gonna have to serve somebody there's a little wake up song from uh the great Hardy Shaw.
we've noted, we've <clears throat> there's a Nobel Prize winner out there. They're looking for him. Celebrating the life and times and music of Bob Dylan today, as well as John Coltrane, as well as Lolita Lebron, as well as a bunch of other people. Stay tuned. This is Labor and Love. Look out, kid. Doesn't matter what you did. Okay, that was, uh, of course, the Nobel Prize winner, Bob Dylan, no matter how you feel about him. I think it's impossible to dismiss his influence on uh, other musicians, on musical styles, on uh, the thinking of, of a lot of people. Um, he's still AWOL. The latest I heard was that the Nobel Prize Committee is looking for him. But uh, haven't been able to find him. So we'll see if he's still out there. So we're going to go through a Bob Dylan retrospective today. We're also going to celebrate John Coltrane, whose birthday would, be, would have been celebrated in the last week of September. The elephant in the room at the, uh, in the whole political campaign, what is it? I look back at the case of Inez Garcia, a woman who said enough is enough and picked up a gun. And we're going to have radio labor, as we always do. And we're going to have workers' independent news. So stay tuned. This is Labor and Love, where we tell you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table, that is, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. 
And when I say labor, I mean you. Okay, well, this has certainly been a dizzy, a dizzy, busy week. Uh-huh. I do want to uh, talk about one thing here before we really get started, and that's baseball. Uh, you might, as you might have gathered, I'm a baseball fan, but I, I tend to look at baseball in a uh, magical way, and this is what I mean. The Los Angeles Dodgers in the middle 50s, when their team moved to the West Coast from uh, New York um, through a whole series of shenanigans acquired some land at a place called Chavez Ravine and the city of LA put in a lot of money to build a stadium there Uh, the only problem was that people were living there and uh, a couple of communities were there Chavez Ravine, two small communities making up the greater Chavez Ravine community. And they were given the same uh, two-step redevelopment agency that the place was a garbage dump, as reported by Vin Scully, the dean of Major League uh, Sports Announcers. A garbage dump, right? And uh, the land was taken, and the the stadium was built, and uh, the Dodgers have been under a curse from that time. So I could never root for the Dodgers, because first they're from L.A., second they have this curse on them. Well, that curse was lifted this week by Adrian Gonzalez, the Dodgers' first baseman, when he decided that thanks but no thanks, he didn't want to stay at a Trump hotel. Gonzalez is of Mexican-American descent, born in San Diego, and he decided he wouldn't stay with the rest of the Dodger team at a hotel owned by Donald Trump in Chicago. Here's uh, Rye Cooter singing about this whole case.
was Ry Cooter, who uh, actually grew up in L.A., L.A. area, Santa Monica, I believe. Didn't know much about Chavez Ravine. Didn't usually uh, go over that way. Um, but there's a guy singing about losing his home, so it can be third base. And uh, he's got a job parking cars. So, let's that, let that be a prologue to the show today. Um, that's where sports is at. As I say, the, the uh, announcer, the dean of highly honored announcer said it was nothing more than a garbage dump. A book of uh, photo photographs about Chavez Ravine. I'm sure if you Google it, you could find it. Okay, a lot of things going on this week, and I want to say first of all about the elephant in the room. What's the elephant in the room? Well, <laughs> three of the most uh, compelling uh, issues in this quote-unquote election have all had to do with the same phenomenon. Number one, we had uh, Roger Ailes, the sort of the uh, the guy who kind of invented the Fox Channel's news, quote-unquote, news coverage and kind of right-wing stance and uh, the angered white American response to what's going on. Ailes was accused by multiple women of using his position to try to get them to go to bed with him. Uh, in one case, the woman who ended up suing him uh, refused to go to bed with him, refused to have a sexual relationship with him, and uh, she was fired if that wasn't enough, um, women all, several women within the Fox News station, the, the Fox News um, co corporation, whatever you want to call it, accused Ailes of doing the same thing, of uh, telling them to spin around so he could look at their body, suggesting that they have a sexual relationship so everything can go a lot more smoothly um, Megan Kelly who's kind of a an icon to the right wing she's a blonde white woman said that Ailes had done the same with her and uh, so one thing led to another his boss Rupert Murdoch the ultra-conservative right-wing owner of all kinds of things, including newspapers, uh, pulled his support away from Ailes. And after that, uh, he fell. Once Fox News decided they were going to have an internal investigation instead of just stonewalling and defending uh, Roger Ailes, as they did before in a famous case in England, uh, 
that wasn't going to work. So they had their internal investigation. It was, even though it was very narrow, uh, it was overwhelmingly against ales. All of a sudden, women found their voices. As they found their voices uh, with Trump, Donald Trump, of course, grab him by the pussy, Donald Trump. That phrase now is injected into our national historical folklore <laughs> forever and ever. You can see kids from uh, from uh, telling, asking their people, well, what did he say? Well, I can't really tell you. What did he say? Oh, well, I... So, and of course, Bill Clinton, whose uh, record of um, abuse of women is well known. Just look at that movie, uh, True Colors, with John Travolta. Um, Clinton himself accused of rape. Uh, several women have come forward and said they had consensual sex with him uh, during and that Hillary had uh, covered up, helped cover up and intimidate them. So there's three cases, and kind of looks like there's one, uh, one theme here, and that's the abuse of women, the idea that women are there for your pleasure, to be groped whenever you feel like it, to be uh, used sexually, uh, to be thrown down and forgotten. Uh, so we want to talk about that. This is... Uh, reminds me of the case of Inez Garcia. Um, Inez Garcia was... A Puerto Rican and Cuban. She was born in New York City and married a Cuban exile named Juan Garcia Cárdenas. They had a child in 1963. Cárdenas was imprisoned in Soledad after being convicted of involvement in a political bombing. Garcia moved to Soledad to be closer to her husband and worked as a farm worker in the lettuce fields, collected welfare, she had a re reputation as being a devout and chaste Catholic. She shared um, an apartment with a guy named Fred Medrano, who was a drug dealer. And some friends of Medrano came to visit one night. They were all drunk. They were going to score some uh, heroin. And uh, two of the men got into a fight. And then uh, uh, one guy came and beat Medrano up, uh, a friend of the other guy, so two on one. The two men decided they were going to show Inez Garcia what a, a hometown boy was because Garcia and Medrano weren't from Soledad. So they took her to, into an alley and... Uh, behind the house and raped her and uh, they told her laughing taunting threatening her and they said they were going to kill her if she didn't leave town 
So she went and got her son's 22 rifle, and she and Medrano went down, and she shot one of the guys who had sat on her. He said he sat on her while they raped her. And she gave herself up to police without incident. Uh, Charles Gary was hired to be her attorney, and Gary argued diminished capacity, that she was so angered and upset by being raped that uh, she wasn't responsible for killing uh, the guy. And um, so she was convicted and served two terms before, two years before an appeal was heard. And a feminist lawyer, Susan Jordan, then argued that her capacity hasn't been diminished. She was defending herself. They said they were going to kill her, and she was defending herself. And uh, she was exonerated and released. And I can remember the year 1976, the 200th anniversary of the uh, of independence, standing in Dolores Park with a huge crowd of people and applauding Inez Garcia, July 4th, 1776 to July 4th, 1976. Here's a poem written by a young feminist poet, at the time young, Marge Percy, called For Inez Garcia. A woman's honor has been the possession of her keeper, like the speed of a racehorse or the bloodline of a pedigreed bitch that no other man spoil his wife nor his ox, nor his ass. Men have groomed their honor, establishing it in golden embroideries of legend, heavy as iron gates, have elaborated strict rituals of honor, armored in hierarchies of pain, the samurai carving in his bowels and belly a slow, deep cross with his own blade. The knight's noblesse oblige assumes the noble obliged to bow and scrape and whine. If it please your honor, thanking your honor, please, mercy, as fear rises like mud in the throat. But what of my honor? Where do I draw the red line, the perimeter of my will? Am I every man's urinal? What does it mean to say no? What does it mean to say no to superior force? The man's body is a weapon and the woman's a target. We are trained to give way, give in, keep peace, keep quiet. Speak to the rapist nicely, speak softly and reasonably. Assure him you have his best interests at heart. Kiss the knife. Perhaps he will not injure you too much. Perhaps he will not kill you today. Perhaps the injury will close to scar tissue. Perhaps you will forget to be afraid the rest of your life. Perhaps you'll forget what it's like to be used as a public toilet. 
torn open like the throat of a slaughtered calf. Perhaps it would be good to open to him. To say yes, one must be able to say no. No to the other, the invader, the violator, no. How does one say no to superior force? The city is bombed flat and taken. The field is pillaged and burnt. The house is gutted. The woman lies in the dust with her mouth and cunt bleeding. She rises. She rises to seize the weapon. And again say no in blood. The only no that holds is written in letters of bone. Power accepts no less currency. You cannot smoke your honor. You cannot show it to your caseworker. You cannot pay for it in the supermarket for a can of beans. Like freedom, it doesn't exist unless you make it. A woman's honor is rooted in being able to say yes, to say no, and make each stick fast. That ghostly will that rises in us from the prone corpse of our passivity like a resurrection, naked and thin and strange. Spirit of the responsible will, walking and talking from the grave of the body that ate the child and swelled into woman. That now gives birth to her own new holy being that carries high a sword, a torch, a rifle. There's no holiness without terror. No will without responsibility and consequence. No entire person without boundaries. Without doors that open and close. And the will to guard what goes out and what comes in. Let Inez Garcia and Joan Little become two faces in a crowd of women. An army each defending her body, defending her sister defending the frail ghost of the new whole conscious self, struggling to stand upright and walk like a year-old child. Okay, that's Marge Percy's take on the case of Arnez Garcia and mentioning, of course, the case of Joan Little, a young African-American woman who's imprisoned and uh, repeatedly raped by prison guards who defended herself and killed uh, the guard. So, what will it take? Okay, we have the pipeline, of course. Now, let's listen to Winona LaDuc, longtime Native American activist, talk about what's at stake. Okay, well, I'm not getting that one coming through. What have we got here? Mm. Oh, okay, I see what we're doing here. Pardon me. 
This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We're broadcasting from Mandan, North Dakota, just across the street from the Morton County Courthouse and jail, where more than half a dozen people will be appearing today on charges related to the ongoing resistance to the construction of the $3.8 billion Dakota Access Pipeline. In total, it looks like about 140 people who call themselves protectors, not protesters, have been arrested in recent months opposing the construction of the pipeline, including 14 people arrested just this past Saturday amidst actions that delayed construction at multiple work sites. Um, there were in one site on Saturday. Um, military-grade equipment, uh, aircraft, armored personnel carriers, surveillance helicopters, planes and drones. On Saturday, more than 100 riot-gear-clad police officers from multiple states came out to police a Native American ceremony near a construction site, which started with the Native American women offering the police officers water. Some of those arrested report being strip-searched in custody at the Morton County Jail, even when they're facing minor misdemeanor charges, such as disorderly conduct. For part two of our conversation with Honor the Earth, we're joined by Winona LaDuke, Native American activist, executive director of Honor the Earth. She lives and works on the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota. And Tara Hauska, national campaigns director for the group. She's Ojibwe from Kochiching First Nation. Kochiching First Nation is in Ontario. But you're from Minnesota. Born and raised. So I want to talk about this issue of strip searching. Um, Winona, it it is astounding to hear that even people, like the pediatrician for Standing Rock, uh, Dr. Sarah Jumping Eagle, yes. was strip-searched for disorderly conduct. Is this typical? I, w I would say that generally North Dakota is not good to Native people and, and is really behind the times in terms of constitutional and civil rights. You know, I mean, for many, many years, our people have had an undue burden of the legal system against them, and nobody has really paid attention. I mean, the ACLU, for instance, American Civil Liberties Union, had one person that covered both North and South Dakota, a little understaffed, I'd say, you know, and that's how things developed like this. But it's wrong. It's wrong. Do they have a right to strip search people for disorderly conduct? I think that this state is reading the law as broadly as it can when it comes to violating the constitutional rights to free speech of these people. Um, I think that they, just like Winona said, they have a very long history of treating folks in this manner, and it's now just kind of coming to light, right? I mean, we're seeing yourself being, you know, as a journalist, being arrested when you're out there on the front lines. You're seeing Shailene Woodley, a famous actress that's out there being arrested as she's, as she's filming it, live streaming it, back to her, you know, RV. I mean, this, this has been happening to Native people in this state for a very, very long time, and it's just now reaching the mass. You know, people are looking at this saying, here's a Native American ceremony, and there's hundreds of police officers with a militarized response behind them. Um, it's, it's madness. Why do you continue to resist with this level of force against you, a raid against you? Because this is what these folks are standing here for, what I'm standing here for, is the protection of water and the protection of the future generations. That matters more than any, you know, criminal trespass or these, you know, attempts to suppress and keep our voices down. Um, you know, we're seeing the police represent 
and protect a, a company interest more than human beings and, and people. These are U.S. citizens that are all here standing together and seeing their, their rights violated, seeing young children afraid of the police. That shouldn't happen, but it is. That's what people were saying to the police on Saturday when they lined up all in riot gear with the MRAP, the pers armored personnel carrier. They were saying, who are you protecting? Why aren't you protecting us? They're clearly protecting Dakota Access. You know, they're protecting this profit interest over people and saying that we're the danger. The system's gone totally rogue is what's happened. I mean, you know, the fact is, is that you should not be protecting. How far are you going to go with this pipeline? How far are you going to push these people? How far are you going to push all of us for these pipelines? You know, it's way too militarized. It's called a mine-resistant armored personnel carrier. That's what it is, an MRAP, a mine-resistant. At what point did you need a mine-resistant armored personnel carrier in North Dakota? And seeing, I mean, local schools doing, uh, you know, lockdowns when these protests are happening. We saw that emergency alert, which is typically reserved for an amber alert for a child that's been taken for protesters, warning in the area, it's frightening people. This is just like we're somehow scary. On Saturday, we kept getting on all of our phones emergency alert, and then it would say something like protesters in the area. Yeah, they're totally trying to demonize us, is what they're trying to do. And the fact is, is that the people that are out here, you know, are trying to protect the water. They aren't making any new water in North Dakota. And, and this is the only water we got, same water as when dinosaurs were here. And this is what we're going to need to drink, and our descendants are going to need to drink. And all our animals, our horses, all our animals need that water, too. And this is a chance to protect that water. North Dakota's already done enough to kind of mess up the water out here with all that fracking waste and starting to pretend that that's working out okay for us. It's not. It's time to stop. It's time to stop and protect the water. There are a lot of people concerned that this is escalating um, to a very bad situation. Are you concerned about this? Yes, I'm concerned that they are escalating it. The, the police are who's escalating it. Our people have consistently been praying. Our people have consistently engaged in nonviolent direct action. And, you know, we had a forum in Bismarck this last week, and it was very well attended, because I think people in Bismarck want to know why all these cops are out there, what is going on, you know, why these people are coming in here. So, you know, I'm saying to people of Bismarck, people in North Dakota, we're here because it matters. I'm from northern Minnesota, and bad things happen in North Dakota, and had my Way, whether they're pipelines or, or emissions from your coal plants, you know, affects all of us. So, you know, it is, it is time to say our civil rights, our constitutional rights are all, you know, are all being violated. I wanted to play a clip for you. Um, on Saturday night, we were at the casino, the Prairie Nights Casino, Native American Casino, and there was the band America playing. Um, and, uh, you know, they're known for Horse With No Name and other songs. Uh, hundreds of people packed in, mainly non-native. And after the concert, I caught up with a number of the concert goers. Um, I asked them if they liked the concert, but then asked them how they felt about the North Dakota Access Pipeline, as well as the protests. I think it's necessary to get the oil off the roads, away from the trains and the trucks. Pipeline is the safest way to go. I don't believe that going on the river is a necessity. I don't like the idea of it going on the river, but I think it's necessary to move it underground instead of on the roads. Okay, there's Amy Goodman um, talking to uh, Indian activists about the pipeline. Uh, this is the dilemma for working people 
especially for the building trades union. What do you do? A big project like this comes up. You want to keep your members working. You want to be able to deliver jobs for your members. The FLCIO came out in favor of this pipeline. The problem for us now, the challenge for us in the future is not to construct, but to destruct. Not to make bigger and bigger and more complex, but smaller and smaller and smaller and more efficient. Who's going to pay us to do that? Because attached as we are to the concept of a job and that connection between our survival and our job, we've had to do whatever we were ordered to do by our bosses. And what that has done is basically polluted the world and put the earth itself on a path of destruction. And when I say destruction, the earth is not going to destroy itself. The earth will abide. We'll be the ones who go. The earth will shrug and we'll all go. So uh, this is the challenge. Finding work that improves the environment. Finding work that turns around the whole idea of extraction and sale. You extract something from the earth, you pass it through various stages until it becomes a commodity, and you sell it. Uh, as workers, our work has been to make things into commodities, and we're going to have to stop. We're going to have to stop. We're going to have to learn how to tear down and rebuild in a more simple way. Anyway, can go on and on like this. Um, Inez Garcia, Nona Leduc. Let's listen to our uh, wind labor report, and we'll get on to some music. Win week ten twenty one sixteen. Workers Independent News We Can Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. The AFL-CIO says in these final few weeks until Election Day, it will bring 100,000 volunteer hours to bear to knock on a million doors in key battleground states. These will be one-on-one -on -one connections directly with voters. According to the AFL-CIO, the acceleration of the Labor 2016 program is part of the final push to elect Hillary Clinton and pro-worker candidates across the country. On top of the door-to-door -door canvas, the AFL-CIO is also doing a wide variety of get-out-the-vote efforts that include phone banks and worksite leaflets. AFL-CIO President Rich Trumka says these efforts will propel working people 
towards Election Day and is the peak of the AFL-CIO's political program. Thousands of faculty at 14 Pennsylvania State University System campuses went on strike Wednesday, virtually shutting down the universities. The faculty union waited through the night for the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education to return to the bargaining table before finally deciding to strike. Using a mobile phone from the picket line Wednesday, Dr. Kenneth Mash of the Association of Pennsylvania State College and University Faculties said the strike started strong with student support. I don't know what more you could expect from what my members delivered today on their campuses. Uh, long picket lines, virtually nobody in the classroom, students joining the picket line. I think we've closed down the university. But it's, having said that, it's still very sad. This is not how we should be using our energy. We should be in the classroom teaching our students, and our students should be learning. The California Teachers Association will be out in force this weekend, supporting two ballot initiatives vital to education. Prop 55 will extend a tax on the wealthy by 12 years to prevent billions of dollars in education budget cuts. Prop 58 makes it easier for students to learn a second language. Eric Hines is president of the California Teachers Association. These propositions are important. They presage what Secretary Clinton has been saying about going where the money is since 2012 when we did this tax on the rich. We've actually created more millionaires in California than we had in the years previous to that. And so it's a good thing to do. I think that'll be really helpful, but it'll only work if everyone gets out and votes. The Pennsylvania U.S. Senate race between Katie McGinty and Pat Toomey is a dead heat, according to the polls. Democratic candidate McGinty is pro-union and pro-worker. She supports the fight for 15 and says the top issue in America is that jobs don't pay well enough for hard-working American workers. The biggest problem in these United States of America is that we do not have enough decent paying jobs and we do not have decent wages. And as United States Senator, my top priority will be to take those challenges on and to turn them around. Workers Independent News puts workers and their unions on the national radio news airwaves every day. To help keep labor's voice on the air, go to laborradio.org. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. And there's another Doug Cunningham and the uh, beginning of Angela Davis. Here's Radio Labor. This is uh, World Labor News. Okay? This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 21st, 2016. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, a major study finds widespread child labor and poverty-level wages on coffee plantations. A report in the UK shows the growing wage gap as women grow older. Unions fight for an ILO convention on violence against women and men. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. A major study of labor conditions in coffee plantations has found continued widespread use of child labor with children as young as five years old forced to work. The study, entitled Brewing Up, was conducted by the respected NGO Finwatch based in Helsinki. It looked at conditions in Honduras, India and Brazil. I talked to Finwatch researcher Anu Kultilati about the report. I asked her first about conditions in Honduras. Well, I think the most, the key finding in Honduras was that on all five farms that we investigated there, we found child labor. 
and I, uh, the key reason behind the prevalence of child labor in our assessment is the very low levels of wage that the that the workers there are paid and what problems did you find in the coffee plantations in india well i think in india the main finding was the really exceptionally high recruitment fees that the seasonal migrant workers reported that they have to pay for their labor, labor contractor. So according to the seasonal workers that we, seasonal migrant workers that we interviewed for our report, they have to pay up to one third of their salary for the entire time that they work on this plantation to their labor broker. Could you explain that a bit more? They have to pay money to work on the plantations? So it's a kind of a recruitment fee, or as they call it, a, a commission. So the workers are uh, employed or, or contracted by a broker at their home state in India, and then they are transported to work at this plantation in another state in India. And the contractor that they use is actually paid a fee also by the by the Tata Coffee, the, the who owns the plantations where these where these workers will work. But the workers, they also said that they have taken a loan from the contractor to pay for the travel cost uh, to the state where the plantation is located. And this loan, they also have to pay back to the contractor. But in addition to paying back the loan, they also have to pay a commission, as they said, to the, to the broker of their salary. And the commission that the that the broker charges is, according to the workers, up to one-third of their earnings. Women in the United Kingdom are being told, you're not only getting older, you're earning even less than men as you age. Radio Labour senior correspondent Seamarie Ainsborough has a report. The Trades Union Congress in the United Kingdom has produced a report showing that women earned less money than men in every stage of their careers. But the gap gets even larger when they're in their 50s. The gender pay gap starts as soon as women start their careers and increases steadily as they grow older. The gap more than doubles when women enter their 40s. During their 50s, women earn about 85,000 pounds, or about $105,000, less than men. The TUC argues that a major reason for the gap is the different impact of parenthood on the earnings of men and women. At age 42, the difference between mothers and fathers is 42%. The difference for men and women who have not had children is 12%. Frances O'Grady, the General Secretary of the TUC, told the media, having children has starkly different effects on men's and women's pay, with women earning less after having kids and men earning more. Far more needs to be done, she said, to help mothers get back into decent, well-paid jobs after having children and encourage fathers to take on their share of caring responsibilities. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Labor unions around the world are working toward towards the adoption of an ILO convention on violence towards women and men in the world of work. The ILO is the UN's international labor organization. It sets minimum standards on workplace issues in recommended laws called conventions. If a country adopts the convention, it becomes part of the nation's legal infrastructure. 
One of the labor organizations at the forefront of the global lobbying for a convention on violence towards women and men is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF represents more than 4.5 million workers in 700 unions operating in some 150 countries. As part of its global campaign for an ILO convention, the ITF held a meeting of its Global Women's Committee in Panama. I talked to Jody Evans about the meeting and the ITF's campaign. Ms. Evans is the ITF's Women's Transport Workers Coordinator. We apologize for some of the Skype-related noise. I asked Ms. Evans first why an ILO Convention on Violence Towards Women and Men is necessary. Mark, I know that on the face of it, this can seem like a pretty complicated issue or process and removed from the lives of ordinary workers. Um, but I promise you, it's pretty simple, and all trade unions and our members can play a valuable part in making a real difference. Uh, we need a convention and recommendation on violence against women and men in the world of work to plug the gap that currently exists in international law. Violence, and in particular gender-based violence, is a global pandemic, and it shapes the lives of countless women transport workers where violence, and in particular sexual violence, is often used in a very deliberate institutional way to control women's access to work and to better working conditions. You know, there is a common systematic approach to using women transport workers' family responsibilities, their economic vulnerability, or their precarious employment status as a means to exercise sexual coercion. This is perpetrated by their colleagues, their managers, vehicle owners, local authorities, the police. So a convention and recommendation will provide an opportunity for trade unions to strengthen their campaigns and lobby for new or improved national legislation, uh, to implement existing legislation, collective bargaining clauses and employer policy to improve access to justice for survivors, to hold perpetrators to account, and to develop and implement prevention strategies. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,300 stories our volunteers collected in the last week. Our top story section included links to news about the Iranian labour activist sentenced to 22 years in jail. The global campaign to free 70 journalists held in Turkish prisons and the spontaneous response by Taiwanese flight attendants when they learned that their employer wasn't honoring their collective agreement. They pelted the company headquarters with eggs. We had news of strikes and logouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Winery workers in South Africa on strike since August continued their wage strike while tobacco workers burned tires on the barricades. Kenyan aviation workers were protesting outsourcing. Striking teachers in Nigeria were being threatened with sacking. Taxi drivers across Tunisia were parked in an effort to gain a living wage. Argentinian university workers were off the job in a protest over budget cuts. Truckers in Bangladesh won their wage and safety strike and returned to work last week. American bourbon distillery workers were out in a wage dispute, while Harvard University service workers were striking for a living wage in the United States. Uber drivers in India parked their cars to protest the recruitment of more and more drivers and the resulting decline in their income. British postal workers walked off the job to protest abuse in the workplace.
The Korean rail strike set a new record of almost 30 days this week, and Moroccan flight attendants escalated their wage dispute. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the tributes to New Zealand union leader Helen Kelly, who died last week, and the struggle by women nurses in India to erode the gender wage gap. The Health and Safety Newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the Pakistani quarry workers who are demanding basic safety equipment and a campaign by American municipal workers to end workplace bullying. Currently, Labor Start is running five online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world helping workers make their lives better or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. sitting at the controls. Uh, there's a little commentary by Leela Downs. Follow that up with a Leland Presidente. It's called the Demagogue. At the
turning back Leela Downs with uh, her new song this released this year The Demagogue and here's uh Bueno, voy a decir algo rápido. Primero quiero decir que aquí nosotros no estamos buscando una oportunidad que no tengo una oportunidad para estar aquí. San Diego era de México y es de México, siempre ha sido de México. Eso de que no tengo una oportunidad, no, esto es de nosotros también. Eh, lo otro, los dos candidatos son malísimos, pero hay que votar por la menos mala que Hillary, porque Trump es horrible. Trump es terrible. Son malísimos. Eso hay que atenderlo. Y libertad para Oscar López Rivera, que es preso político, 34 años de prisión aquí en Estados Unidos. Political prisoner, been in jail for 24 years. Soy. Soy lo que dejaron, soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron. Un pueblo escondido en la cima, mis pieles de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima. Soy una fábrica de humo, mano de obra campesina para tu consumo. Frente de frío en el medio del verano, el amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano. El sol que nace y el día que muere, con los mejores atardeceres. Soy el desarrollo en carne viva, un discurso político sin saliva. La cara más bonita que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de mis venas Soy un pedazo de tierra Que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles Soy Maradona contra Inglaterra Anotándote dos goles Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera La espina dorsal del planeta Es mi cordillera Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre El que no quiera su patria No quiera su madre Soy América Latina Un pueblo sin piernas pero que camina
Okay, that was uh, Lila Downs singing with Residente from Calle Trece. You can't buy the sun. You can't buy the water. You can't buy my joy. Lila Downs. This is Labor and Love on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio at 21st and Florida here in the Mission, the 94021. What do I want to say? i got to figure that out, the zip code. That was Leela Down singing Demagogue and singing with uh, Residente, a guy from Calle Trece, a, a hip-hop group in Spanish about a businessman about basically Donald Trump, the uh, the demagogue. He's a demagogue. His appeal is based not on his philosophy or his policies. It's based on his personality. So as a demagogue, he can change direction. He can say that Oh, this election is fixed. It's rigged. And millions of people, millions of people believe him. They don't want to hear about what Trump has done. Women say it's okay for Trump to grab my pussy. People say it's okay what Trump did. One um, very well-heeled preacher remarked, after Trump was accused with his own words, his own tape, he said that, well, in order to find Jesus, you got to be a sinner, and then smiled. This is the kind of bankrupt religious leadership that uh, that is in Trump's camp. Okay, we're going to go to John Coltrane. But I want to play a couple of uh, Dylan songs and then some stuff by people singing his songs. This is a very simple one. Bob Dylan was born Robert Zimmerman in 1941 in Hibbing, Minnesota. And his family moved to Duluth. Bob was uh, always interested in music and in performing as a young man in high school. He performed. A lot of people thought he was uh, not very good, but he was never afraid to perform. He moved to uh, the University of Minnesota to sort of please his father. His father had an appliance store and then um, took off to New York. While he was in Minneapolis, he lived in Dinkytown, which is the college ghetto uh, around the university. He went uh, west and uh, encountered Woody Guthrie, who was kind of an idol of his. 
Some people say he changed his name to Bob Dylan in honor of Dylan Thomas. I've heard that uh, denied that Dylan was a family name that he kind of liked. So who knows? This one is, uh, his songs is a very simple one from um, Bob Dylan's early period. Just a simple song about injustice, but tellingly, talking about Percy's song. Bad news, bad news came to me where I sleep. Turn, turn, turn again. Saying one of your friends is in trouble deep. Turn, turn to the rain and the wind. Tell me once to my ear Turn, turn, turn again Juliet prison in 99 years Turn, turn to the rain and the wind Oh, what is the charge of how this came to be Turn, turn, turn again Slaughter in the highest of degrees. Turn, turn to the rain and the wind. I sat down and wrote the best words I could write. Turn, turn, turn again. Explaining to the judge I'd be there on Wednesday night. Turn, turn. I left by the moon Turn, turn, turn again And was in his chambers By the next afternoon Turn, turn to the rain and the wind Facts I said without fear. Turn, turn, turn again. That a friend of mine would get nine, nine years. Turn, turn to the rain and the wind. A crash on the highway flew a car into a field. Turn, turn, turn again. There was four persons killed And he was at the wheel Turn, turn to the rain and the wind And I know him as good as I'm knowing myself Turn, turn, turn again And he wouldn't harm a life That belonged to someone else 
Judge jerked forward and his face it did freeze. Turn, turn, turn again. Saying, could you kindly leave my office now, please? Turn, turn to the rain and the wind. The room was funny and I stood up so slow. Turn, turn, turn again With no other choice Except but far to go Turn, turn to the rain and the wind I walked in the hallway And I heard his door slam Turn, turn, turn again I walked down the courthouse stairs And I did not understand Oh, 
Dylan's uh, tribute to Reuben Carter, which uh, helped in the campaign to get a, another trial for Carter and his eventual release. Um, worked in Canada, I believe, before he, uh, he died. Everybody thought Dylan had given up that kind of song, and he came out with uh, this classic protest song. One more by Bob Dylan. Union Sundown. This is commentary on the union movement and what happened to it.
Bob Dylan there with uh, Union Sundown. This is the B. Uh, we're going to have to play John Coltrane on the way out. We'll talk a little more about Coltrane's life uh, next week. Do want to talk about this week in labor history? A busy week. On October 25th, 1949, Hawaiian longshoremen and women uh, struck over wage parity with their mainland counterparts and uh, won a victory. Despite scabbing and attempts to break the strike, arrests and court actions, and the employer's refusal to go to arbitration, the ILW. You victory gave Hawaii longshoremen the same kind of status and recognition won by mainland longshoremen in 1934. October 26, 1825, begun in 1817, the Erie Canal linking Lake Erie on the west to the Hudson River on the east was completed. The canal was dug from Albany to Buffalo, four feet deep and 40 feet wide. Local laborers and Irish immigrants were primarily employed to build the canal, paid 80 cents per day for 10 to 12 hours of work. Estimates are that over 1,000 workers died during the construction. The Erie Canal is what established uh, New York as a major world port. It connected the agricultural and mining areas in the central United States with New York. Um, the canal was dug from Albany to Buffalo. After that, the railroad or wagons would take the things to New York. October 1,000 men died. Thousand workers died. New York subway, subway open October 27, 1904. The New York Times reported that although there were numerous minor accidents and individual accidents to laborers, the total number of deaths due to the subway work has been very small for a work of such magnitude. Tell that to the workers' families. There is no accurate record on the subject. I think that's the bottom line there, isn't it? Puerto Rican labor organizer, writer, and activist Luisa Capetillo is born. She wrote for the newspaper of La Federación Libre de Trabajadores for years, worked tirelessly on organizing drives throughout Puerto Rico, and led major strikes by agricultural workers, including the successful sugarcane strike of 1916. Okay, going back here. Lawyers, guns, and money. On October 10th, 1933, 30 ranchers surrounded a group of agricultural strikers in Pixley California. They opened fire and killed two. The 
massacre at Pixley culminated the farm strike that had gone on through the harvesting season and demonstrated the level of violence ranchers would resort to in order to keep labor as exploitable as possible. The great cotton strike in the Central Valley of California. The uh, workers were having a meeting in Pixley during the strike. Armed farmers went to break up the meeting and shot five workers. Funny how the only people arrested were workers, strikers. And uh, nobody was ever arrested for their murder. Business as usual, huh? Something like that. <clears throat> okay, let's play. Uh, how about this? Here's some very early Dylan. Dylan singing on TV, the prototypical protest song recorded by everybody. So, under the category of don't try this at home.
Bob Dylan from uh, March of 1963 with his anthem of social justice, Blowing in the Wind, uh, which at the time was a new thing. Singing about social issues, the 50s had convinced us that music was for entertainment. It was great. It was wonderful. It was entertainment. Once it got to be tougher, got to be harder, and it wasn't just a melodious uh, protest songs, and things began to change. Hopefully we'll have some time next week to play some more uh, Bob Dylan. This is the B a.k.a. Bill Morgan coming at you from Mutiny Radio every Saturday morning 10 to 12 and archived at iTunes or at mutinyradio.fm come on down to Mutiny Radio where it's really happening where our programmers do it for love call out to all the October birthdays and there are a lot of you my daughter Vita, Suni, Nayeli, uh, friend Judy T, see you this afternoon. Uh, and brother Charlie, check out his program on Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 8, musical very. And uh, remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, <clears throat> Another person get <clears throat> worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is. You're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. The international... <laughs>
are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, 
punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform Radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event. Now to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue. San Francisco is located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son. Run! 
Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at Podcasts. PCRcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels 